0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Gay Peas in a Podcast. I'm Matt and I'm Bevan and in this podcast we like to challenge our ways of thinking to open our minds and to spread light through honest and open conversations. This week we are talking with an operatic superstar. Super. Helena Dix. Aussie born, Helena has secured her name in leading roles on operatic stages around the world, performing across the UK, Germany, the US, here in Australia, of course, all over. Helena has performed many times with Metropolitan Opera in New York, and after performing as Norma with Chelsea Opera Group in London, she was described as gobsmacking. Also saying here, Dix is on her way to cult diva status. Let's welcome the diva herself. Hello, <laughs> Helena <laughs> Dix.
1: Hello. <Woo-woo>! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I love that cult diva status Oh, uh,
2: Look, I didn't even pay him to say that I mean, that <laughs> he couldn't ask for anything more <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's amazing It is so, such a joy and a privilege to have you on here with us, Helena uh, How did you guys meet? I mean, how did how did this well, connection come about? We've
1: actually only met once when you're in Melbourne again But we have a connection through Kirsty McCulloch. And right. Of course yeah. we interviewed
0: Kirstie on our podcast, she was our sleep psychologist that we talked to Yes, we had a
1: lovely mm. chat with Kirstie about that, but I think we, we did only meet once in Melbourne But um, knowing that your history was with Kirstie and that's how we sort of met And then I have continually followed your amazing journey over the last few years And watched your rising star happening all around the world, which has been incredible
2: yeah, it's such a funny thing, you know, small connections and things like that because Kirsty and I were in the Australian Girls' Choir together. That's so, right. So, you know, music brought us together and then Kirsty introduced the two of us and yeah, we, we got along so well and so it's lovely, lovely music, music makes those connections happen in, in even in the smallest of ways.
0: Yes. Now, it is very bright and early on a Saturday morning in London where you are right now um. But are we up for a a little bit of a warm-up to get us all warm
1: for this potty today? Do we feel like that? Would you be able to lead us in a little vocal warm-up to start off with? A Mm warm-up? Yeah, a vocal (laughs) warm-up.
2: Oh,
1: my God. (laughs) Just a little one. Matt will be much better at this than I am. Mm. Just a little one.
2: Well, Okay, so I think we should all start... Each individually with a lip trill, because a oh. lip trill connects your air to the sound. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds it sounds it sounds filthy, but it's not. It's all PC for, for eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. <laughs> all right. So our lip trill is just literally <laughs> You can imagine like you're accelerating a car.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You okay. should each have a go at that. Go baby. <laughs> Yes. Your some... car, your car, your car's, uh, your car's a different <laughs> mate to mine. I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a car from Noddy or something. The, the 1990s cartoon. For anyone that knows that reference, anyway.
1: I was moving on. I, w- I was lucky enough to do some acting with Matt, and as performers, whether you're singing or acting, we get to warm up, and some of the things oh. I just would just crack me up. They're
0: the best, though. They bring you together as performers, doing all the fun, silly warm ups out That's the back, true. don't they?
2: That's so true. And actually, um, where I used to grow up back in, uh, back in Willis Hill in Melbourne, I used to have a neighbour over the road and he'd get up really early and I would be warming up upstairs. I was only a kid, you know, learning to do my warm ups. And the very first thing I would do to get my voice going would be like the vocal stretches, you know, the nice hums, nice and gentle. And one day he kind of came over and he said, Helena. And and he obviously, I was only a teenager, so I had to be careful what he said. He said, but are you alone in your room when you do those four months? And I, at the time, I was quite naive. I didn't know what he was referring to. And then he chuckled and him and my mum went, ha, ha, ha. And, I, and he's like, because they sound quite delightful. And now I realise what he meant, you know. But yes. at the time, I was I was very definite that they were, woo, woo. <laughs> you
0: know, for warm up, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you say you you were doing that as a kid. Then I, I, I've got re- written down here. How did your operatic how how did your operatic journey begin? Then it obviously started quite young for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I kind of. I, I I never opera was never really a big part of my family. Classical music wasn't really a big part of my family. I kind of thought that I was a cross between Mariah Carey and Aretha Franklin when I was oh, little, yeah. but I always. Always loved to sing. Always like since since I literally could could make noise and always loved the spotlight. Definitely <laughs> not shy. Uh, when I was on a, a flight with my parents, when I was I think I was four or five, and um, in those days the kids could go up to the cockpit and speak to the captain and see everything. And so Mum sent me off. And my Mum's a she's a little bit shy on the on the public surface, so she sent me off and and then as she describes it the, the captain comes across the place like oh ladies and gentlemen uh, we have the children in the uh, cockpit and one of the little girls has just seen my microphone and would love to sing you a song and my mum's like oh crap <laughs> I know whose kid that's gonna be uh and and I was like hi everyone um, my name's Helena and I'd like to sing Come a Chameleon <laughs> and that was my debut That was my debut. So I was like, Come, 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 come. And the whole thing's like cheering. And when I got back to my seat, my mum said, I was really hoping that no one would know that you were my kid. (laughs) And um but, of course, when I got back, I was like, Mum, did you hear me on the microphone? <laughs> She's oh. like, yes, sweetheart. Everyone heard you. Everyone heard you. So, uh, you know, the singing side of things definitely started early. And then I, I basically got into the Australian girls' choir and one of their patrons was an opera singer and I was looking for singing lessons at about 15 and they recommended her to me and <laughs> she mm. said darling, she said I think you should sing opera and I just laughed at her I was like that's hilarious Like, I, I don't, I'm like no no thanks um, I'm a bit more da, 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 you know and yeah, she's like yeah, yeah. right well she said darling if I'm going to teach you you'll, you'll do it my way and we did technical exercises for six weeks she wouldn't let me sing a song Mm. and she kind of showed me the discipline of like proper singing and proper breath work and pro you know everything old school proper you know technique and i think i i think it really worked for my personality at first i was a bit i was a bit angry i was like whatever you know this is
0: (laughs) (laughs) you just wanted to belt something out
2: (laughs) exactly jazz hands and everything but (laughs) but actually the, the, the part of it that appealed to me was the fact that I couldn't do it so easily. And I love a challenge as part of my personality. And so it pissed me off because she would be like, right, let's do a breathing exercise. So we're going to breathe in deep and then you're just going to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, and, and all in one breath. And I would do it and I'd get to like 20 something. I think I'm a hero. <laughs> and and then and I'd be like, well, what can you get? And she mm-hmm. kind of chuckles. She's like 176. I was like, damn yes! <laughs> you know? it! So, uh, you know, that kind of thing really drove me. I was quite, you know, competitive and I wanted to be better. And the fact that I couldn't do it so easily actually really appealed to me. And I think that's part of, part of my success even as a journey as a singer is that when I can't do it, it's not negative for me. When I when I struggle or when I'm trying to make something better, it actually excites me to try and make it better rather than feeling negative. So that's kind of what started the the journey for classical. And then and um, then I, I worked with her for a couple of years and then I got a, a full scholarship to the Melbourne Conservatorium and started my bachelor there and, and the journey kind of went from there really.
0: Wow. I, I, what are some kind of highlights of your vocal training journey when you really got into the nitty-gritty that you, that you can speak about where you really kind of discovered your voice and, and really found it
2: I don't think I, I don't think there's any distinct moments really yeah. apart from apart from learning to manage my sound as I developed but also like learning to manage nerves because of course what people don't really think about mm. is that when you sing it's a part of it's a Part of you, like when you've got an instrument, it's it's external. You can uh, manipulate the muscle and control it. But of course, the things in humans that happen when we get nervous, things like shorter breath or dry mouth or things that we naturally feel uh, get a bit anxious with, they're the things that affect singers. You know, mm. so I think I think one of the one of the moments for me that I remember quite well at university was we were doing this concert up at Dame Nelly Melba's estate and I was quite young, I think I was the first year or second year and I didn't really feel, I didn't feel particularly nervous and I sang, oh, that's right, I sang Tis the Last Rose of Summer and and I had this rose in my hand and we kind of staged it and I went, you know, Tis the Last Rose My voice was okay. And I put my hand out and my hand was like shaking like a mofo. Yeah. It was like the rose was like in front of me. And I remember like psychologically being like, no, no, no. You know, like just the ways that that nerves and things can affect you and how you handle that. And, and you know, I've been through many 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 competitions especially in in australia that's quite a big thing for young singers like the the circuit was a really big deal and some of them were really harsh and some of them were really great and it's just that thing of learning to get up under every circumstance and being able to you know to perform whether it's that you're feeling emotional something's maybe happened to you in your life and you can't how do you bring that how do you not bring that to your to your singing you know like if Mm. someone's you know, you've, you've lost someone or or you've had an argument with someone or, like, really big things down to really small things. And I think as a singer, a young singer growing up, yes, I had great vocal progress and, and great memories. But actually, I think the biggest things you learn is yourself, how to deal with your own filter of life and how to how to not let that get in the way of what you're trying to produce vocally because everything is linked to the voice, the emotions, you know, the tension, the, the fear, like, all of it. So. yeah.
0: I had an ex- I like singing is a huge part of me. I've always loved to sing as well. I did classical training in my late teens and um, a few years like I, I, I really love singing and, and acting. I have much more experience acting on stage in front of people than I do singing in front of people. So that is a huge challenge for me. Um, a few years ago, Anthony Kalia came to Hobart when we were living down there and as part of his promotion for his show, I was working on radio at the time and he asked me to sing a song with him at his concert at Rest Point Casino. And I was like, of course I will do this. So exciting. Yeah. He, let
1: me me sing, yeah. he
0: let me pick my own <laughs> song and everything. Um, I sang an Elton John song and oh, I will never forget the sound check because the sound check was incredible. I had the time of my life I felt free. I was singing with, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was amazing. I had real musos behind me. It was so cool. But then when the moment came to sing with everyone <laughs> in there, I could just, I was short of breath. I'm shaking like a leaf. And I, you know, when you just know that you haven't delivered what you're fully capable of. And I, gosh, I just want more experience um, performing in front of people. Like you said, all those Stedfords, I guess you get so much experience.
2: Yeah, and, and and experience under what I would call quite a clinical situation you know like in a, in a competition it's like number 64 you know up you know yeah. you know, <laughs> you know and, and and you know you've got a couple of the, the volunteers with their hearing aids in, in the in the audience I I, uh. did, I did one I did one out at Dandenong, I'll never forget it actually and my mum used to come around with me all the time my mum's awesome she's my best mate you know she used to come around with me and and do all the competition circuit and keep me company and I took it really seriously you know like really seriously like that was I was super anxious to make sure I got placed every time and all that kind of stuff. And I was singing uh, from Handel's Messiah. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Anyway, so I... all these like rhymes and stuff. And I'm so I was standing there singing and then I can hear this noise. <laughs> like on this pitch that wasn't matching the key of my song. Like, how dare they? And it was this woman, this volunteer in the audience, and her hearing aid was, like, low on battery, so it was making this, like, <laughs> like noise. But what made it worse was, obviously, she couldn't hear it, and then her friend, who was in the row ahead of her, turns around very loudly, like, while I'm singing. He's, she's like, Joyce, your hearing aid's low on battery. And I'm like... <laughs> You know, and my mum said, "I just the look of death in my face, like I'm just like daggers at these women." You know, <gasps> what I see "Your hearing aids." Oh, <laughs> you know, like this whole kind of thing. So you really, truly do learn to sing under under every circumstance, yes, under the sun. Yeah. You know,
1: it's a bit like a sister act. Alma, check your batteries.
2: Bang. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Check your batteries. That's <laughs> too funny. Who are some of some of your biggest inspirations, Helena?
2: Oh you mean musically or personally? Oh, oh everything. Go they're on. They're everything. They're everything every, everything every, that inspires every you everyone. to be as incredible
0: as you are. And I'm just yeah. gonna say
1: I'm really loving your frame. I've just Oh yeah. Yes.
2: Oh, of course, yeah. You gotta have some gotta have some rainbow frame in your life. You um, do. Yes. I mean, the number one inspiration for me on a personal level is my mum. My mum is, like, the strongest, most incredible woman under the sun and she's been my number one supporter the whole way. So, personally, she's been the one that's driven me and helped me to achieve everything I've wanted to achieve. I remember when I was at school and my brother's 15 years older than me and very intelligent and, like, heads up some of the world's greatest um, environmental law projects and everything. He's quite something. And he he really wanted me to go into law. (laughs) He said to my mum... But she's got such good grades. Why would she do singing? What a waste. You <laughs> oh, know. And and for quite a few but he meant it in a nice way. Yeah, like yeah. He's, he's like, Mom, Mom, it's just, oh my God. And Mum was like, adult, behave yourself if that's what she wants to do, we need to back her. Ooh, and mom. if she, if she slacks off and if she's crap, we will tell her, but if she's dedicated and she's good at what she does, then you can't stop her. You've got to, you've got to invest in what she wants. So, and then when I made my Royal Albert Hall debut, he and my mum were sitting in the front row and she turned to him and she said, was it worth it <laughs> now? And he, and he went, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yes. um, so definitely my mom and, you know, my brother as well, actually. Um, but on a, Gosh, on a professional level, uh, so many singers at so many different times, you know, mm. I, when, when my teacher told me I, she wanted me to be an opera singer, I was like, oh crap, I don't know anything about opera singers. So I went to Brashes at the time. Oh, Brash's. And, um, we love Brash's. Good old Brash's, right? What was Brashes? And-
1: oh, Brash's was a, was a, a, um, a record store here in Melbourne. Oh. Um, was it in the major city in Bourke Street? Was Brashes in Bourke Street? I can't remember.
2: It was everywhere, really. Everywhere. They had a chain of them. And you go in and you you know, browse records and CDs and tapes yeah. and yeah, whatever. Nice. And, and they had like a little listening station where you could put on headphones and you could say to them, can I listen to this CD? And you'd stand there and listen. And so I was like, right. I went to the opera section and I literally picked out this CD and, and this gorgeous, gorgeous, voluptuous uh, woman. And I was like, I like the look of her. I will listen to the opera. And I literally, it was Leona Mitchell, and I, I put her CD on. And I was just like, you know, the colors that she used in her voice and the magic that she created. And I just remember thinking, oh, opera's not so bad, actually. This is, this is not so bad. So that kind of kicked me off. And then my teacher, Margaret Nisbet, who passed away recently, my first teacher, she – I mean – she really, she knew how to handle me because I had quite an ego. I know you'd never guess it, but I had quite an ego. <laughs> uh, you know, also because I also because I was, you know, I, I was like, I sang all the musicals at school. I thought I was awesome. And she was like, actually, you don't know anything. You have to start at the beginning. And at first I found that really difficult, but she really knew how to you know, challenged me in a positive way and she made the experience so beautiful for me but also so much so that I really always pushed myself. So she would definitely be one and I guess through my career, I, you know, I've had all kinds of people. Um, Cheryl Barker is a is a famous Australian opera singer who I was who um, in La Boheme. It was the first gig I got with Opera Australia. I was in the chorus and she was singing and I was besotted with, with her and her singing and her acting. The fact that Again, a good singer, but also a good singing actress too. Like she really, she wasn't of the old school where they just stood and sang. She really like committed and was able to Mm. get colours in her voice that were quite incredible, which is something I try and do. And then I think the best experience I've had recently, when I was at the Metropolitan Opera, um, I covered there for quite a few years before I made my debut. And there's a very famous mezzo called Elena Garantza. She's she's Latvian. And um, she was the mezzo in uh, Roberta Devereux, the production i did there and the technique on this woman is incredible like it's Mm. incredible and i and everyone's a little scared of her because she's (laughs) she's this um she's amazing but she's very you know you're not she's a bit latvian you know It's, it's a bit okay you know and so everyone, everyone in rehearsals was like okay yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas <laughs> i i actually quite enjoyed talking to her uh and she came in one day and she had this cold and she she's like a bit snotty obviously pre pre-covid and all that but she came in and she was a bit snotty and she said you're not my children have this cold and they're like mommy mommy i love you here i give you my snot you know little shit you know so <laughs> she she came in with this cold and and as a covers job it was my job to sit there and watch the rehearsal and so she came in and she sang this scene and it was I mean extraordinary like like extraordinary the fact that she's got a cold the fact that she's a mezzo which is the lower voice than the soprano and she still went up to these roaring high notes and she finished the scene and everyone was all gushy they were like (gasps) and she kind of comes over to the corner where we were sitting and I went I hate you and and she's like, excuse me, and I was like, what the? I was like, what the hell? I've got a cold. I've got a cold. I sing better than sopranos when they're when they're healthy. I sing better high notes than sopranos when they're healthy. Piss off! And she laughed and laughed and laughed. You know. And we became friends from there. But I I've never been in the room with someone that I've admired so much because I'm I'm a nerd and I'm a technician and for me like the voice should be like very disciplined and and quite a lot of work. You can hear in her like how much work she does on it. And for me, that was truly inspiring to be in the room with someone who who, who met up to the expectations that I have of of what things should Mm. be, you know. Mm.
0: I have this one memory in my head from when I first started singing back in the day and also first started YouTubing things because also I knew nothing about classical music or opera or anything. And I Mm -hmm. came across this one clip which is always in my mind and I think about it often and it was Luciano Pavarotti, Joan Sutherland and Marilyn Horne around a piano talking about bel canto and Pavarotti just brings out this trill like a bird and it's (laughs) just, the control is just unbelievable and they all have a go. It's just, it's, it's, ah yeah I, I, he's like you know it's like the birds you may, I, I look at the birds just like the birds and then <laughs> out comes this incredible trill like a bird oh it's amazing <laughs> I learned from
2: the <laughs> birds you learn from the birds too yeah I learned from the birds in fact I yeah. can do I mean, he—he, yeah—he's one, one of the greatest. And the, uh, I always call Pavarotti uh, the voice of the people, because mm. there was something so organic and beautiful about that voice. And I don't care if you like classical music or you don't. If you hear that man sing, it—it it, it has to touch you in some kind of way. Like it's just—it's so organic and so gorgeous what he did. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, I was just thinking of my own opera experience and and opera and being connected to opera. I think. Often we, we really miss out and people look at opera and think it's only from a society's perspective, you know, people that go there that are more a highbrow society, maybe possibly and if it's at all for the people, mm-hmm. but it is, it is for the people and that's correct. Um, I've probably been the most moved at any times that I've actually been at opera. The most times I've ever cried at performances is at an opera, which is, it it, it is incredible experience and I think of you often on stage and how that emotion, you must be able to feel the fullness of that emotion at times i mean how that you need to control yourself that it doesn't take you away um
2: that, uh-huh. That's so true, actually. It's, it, it's so true. I, it, one, of the, one of the great directors that I've worked with taught me that lesson very well. He said to me, you know, Helena, if you're conveying a deep emotion on the stage, first and foremost, you have to feel it. You have to experience it. In the rehearsal, you have to cry. You, and, of course, all of that affects yeah. your voice. Yeah. And he said, and then you have to strip that away and be able to portray that without it, without it affecting you vocally. And that's a really very difficult lesson to learn
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: i love i love that through the rehearsal process you have to allow yourself to fully feel it and experience it and cry and 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 allow that to happen so that you can still know what you're performing and not let it affect you later on that's amazing yeah i love that yeah and i've
1: always wondered that how you you control or move through that because i just i come out of there like (laughs) it's so beautiful (laughs) then you went to a great performance
0: yeah yeah great performance and
1: we need to You've actually never been.
0: I've no I've never been to an opera.
1: At all. Mm. So
0: I mean I uh, know. Yeah. Which uh, we were not ho- many operas came down to Hobart, so to be fair.
1: To be fair. <laughs> but we were hoping when you were here we were able to do that, but we we're away. But for people who are listening, what is a good what is a good level opera to start with? If you've never been introduced to opera before, what is a really good introduction for people?
2: Yeah, I think um it depends what you love, really. But La Boheme, you can't go wrong. La, right. La Boheme by Puccini. It's 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 the everyday person's story, and 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 it's beautiful. And Puccini writes a beautiful melody, and it's very moving. Madame Butterfly, again, mm. another gorgeous opera to see. And and then on a lighter stage, something like um, the Marriage of Figaro, which mm. I just recently did in Seattle, because the Marriage of Figaro has these phenomenally wonderful characters that everyone can find themselves in one of the characters at least and it's this kind of funny story of you know not betrayal but it's it's this, yeah it's a comedy but it's also true to heart and you and they all learn a lesson by the end of it and i think you know there's figaro and susanna they're the young couple and they're going to be married and they're very excited and then there's the count and the countess who have been married a while but the love's gone a little bit the mm. you know the lust has kind of been taken out of it and they're going through the motions and the count's a bit naughty you know and then there's the young carabino who's <laughs> you know he's 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 lustful and he and he loves all the women in the in the show you know he's wants to you know get up their skirts pretty much And like there's all <laughs> there's something there's something in everyone I just say I think you're right though I think people Thing about opera as being for the elite, and it's certainly not. And I know a lot of opera companies now try really hard for it not to be. There's a most opera companies will do like young people's tickets, and and um, even like some opera companies now do these fantastic shows where it's called like a like a sensory show, like where people who maybe feel a bit uncomfortable sitting down the whole time can mm-hmm. stand, and kids can move around, and you know, so you know, just getting that experience and understanding that it's 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 not just for the elite, and actually people say that. Yeah, all right, fine, like you know, the, the A Rose stalls are quite expensive. But actually the cheap seats in opera or the Company Rush or, you know, daily tickets or whatever, far cheaper than than a lot of musicals and, and pop Correct. concerts. So it's 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 not a financial thing. It's it's that think of like, oh trying a food, you know, uh, oysters. Uh, no, people won't try oysters because, like, oh, I don't know, it looks uh, it's a bit, uh, uh, you know, and then, yeah, know, just give it a go. Like, you mm. know, just give it a go. And, and if you don't like it, then, hey, then you've tried, you know, then you've been there. But I think I know a lot of people who have come to my shows over the years who have come to see me and said, oh, I came with a friend, like it wasn't something I really wanted to do, but your voice really affected me and it was something I really, like, being in the theatre and being in, around live music and letting it, Letting it vibrate through your body and something with a full orchestra and everything. I it's quite extraordinary. It really is, you know. Yeah.
1: And we're missing that central, uh, central, or maybe we're missing the central too, but it is central. The sensual, or uh, the, yeah. The def- sensory? Sensory. I was going to say this. <laughs> no, sensory. No. You can get central. It's like a at song op- you're about to get, bring up. You can get central at the opera if you like, but that's, uh, the senses overload. Oh, and uh, we quite yeah. often do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do. When we're sitting at home watching Netflix, we're not really getting, this amazing oh, no. experience um, of being in the middle of it all and allowing the vibration of our bodies um, and waking us up and thinking we're just receiving here. And I that's why live performance is, is amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it, is, is. It, it is.
0: Especially since COVID, you know, we're at home a lot more now. Get back out and, and you know, see the live stuff. It makes you feel more than you can imagine. Um, Helena... You know, and of often, course yeah
2: any live performance, anything and everything can often happen, you know. Like that's that's the joy yeah. of being in an audience. Like if you're really watching, really watching the performers, every performance is different, you know? So that's that's something too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um opera obviously is performed in a lot of different languages. Um what are what are some of the significant differences when you're performing in, in, in different yeah. dialect and languages and things? I mean, one of my singing, my first singing teacher, Lisa Roberts-Scott, who was our second interview here on the podcast, she now, um, she now teaches people how to find their voice in many ways. Um, but she was like, don't start with a German opera.
1: Why would she be saying that? <laughs> She's like, don't start with German. We're like, what's wrong
2: with German? Well, I think... Uh... Well, the language is a little harsher than, than, say, Italian is. I mean, Italian is really the opera the language that you want to start opera with because it's a soft language in the mouth. It's got beautiful vowels. It's, you know, so it's easier to sing in. It's easier to make a lovely sound in. German... Is a harsher language, and the consonants are, play a, a bigger part in the actual spoken language. So, therefore, singing in it is a bit trickier because the consonants get in the way of the vocal sound. So, whereas mm. in Italian, it's a, it's a, Italian's quite a lazy language, really. So, you know, if you're singing "Oh, Donna è Bella," and and you sing a line, and you're "Oh, Bella," at, 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 Woman uh, is beautiful, but if you did that in German, um, oh, Mädchen or oh, Mädchen is you know. So mm. you can hear like there's so much more consonant and aspirant to get through. And so, when you're developing a nice vocal line, Italian is a beautiful, beautiful language to sing in. And, um, so we learned Italian, German, and French. Uh, at, at college and I started early. I did it at TAFE when I was at school because I knew I wanted to sing in Italian and I wanted to understand it a bit better. So we studied the language and we studied it phonetically as well. So French, we studied phonetically. And then um, I got then asked to do an opera in Czech, in Czechoslovakian. Oh. And um, I, I was like, oh, God. So I had to learn that by, 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 rote, by, by tape so that I had a language coach literally speak the whole thing onto a record for me and i just learned it by by just repeating 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 and um i remember one of my colleagues i was living in student dorms at the time and she went past she's like she was from serbia and she's like elena the, you know I, there's a lot of swearing going on in your room as well as check and i was like yeah because i need <laughs> <laughs> like that i was like Holy crap, can I buy a vowel somewhere? And actually, (laughs) I think the worst language I've had to sing in was Welsh. Welsh is really hard. Really, really hard. I didn't do a whole opera in Welsh, but I was asked to sing the Welsh National Anthem at an event. And that is is a combination of several European languages kind of mixed in. So you get this kind of German slash Russian slash like and literally, I, I said to my Welsh friend who tried to teach me how to do it, I was like, I, there are so many consonants in these words, you know, my like all this guttural kind of stuff. I was like, how do you make a nice sound? And yet the Welsh are such, are such songbirds, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, singing is such a huge part of the Welsh language. Cause that's like, it's all quite a singing kind of singy songy kind of way that they speak. Um, don't quote me on whatever Welsh that was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you know, it is—it's fascinating doing, yeah, doing all the language work and stuff as well. But I—I I say this to people, you know, I'm like, oh, no, I've just memorized a 384-page score of Italian opera. So forgive me if my brain is—is—is—is is, is, is on another track sometimes because it always goes around in your head, you know, when you're doing a show because of course you have to have to know that for memory on day one of rehearsals. So you know,
0: oh, is that what's expected? Day one of rehearsals, you know it—it's in there. Well... Yes. Yeah. Yep.
2: So it used to be in the, in, in, in earlier days, they would have maybe a week of music rehearsals where everyone would have a chance to sing everything in with their colleagues and stuff. Now you're lucky to get half a day of music rehearsals. The director wants to rehearse, you know, straight up uh, on the floor with the ideas. And so you really have to be as much as possible for, for memory on day one.
0: Yes, absolutely. You're saving time and you, you're getting right into the, the, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. So how are you, <clears throat> the, the thing I always talk about, um, is how you look after yourself through all this i mean not only is this it seems that you've got this mental uh, aspect to your to your work also but you've got your physicality and you've got your actual physical voice so how do you look after yourself what do you do and you know are you going from show to show to show and and is, does that affect your health quite even? And do you need to have some downtime at some point just to rest
2: yeah, look, it's it's really difficult because, like any freelance artist, sometimes you're crazy busy and sometimes you know yeah. there's there's not much yeah. not much at all. Um, and so at my busiest, at my peak times, uh, you well you just. You have to know your own body and be and be really selfish, actually. Um, and I know a lot through my life. Yeah, there've been friends that I've made that just haven't understood that. They haven't understood the sacrifice that you need to make. Why well, they don't understand why you can't come out and be out mm. late, or that you can't be in a bar where you're talking loudly across people, and and you know all that kind of stuff. And so. I think from a very young age, I found that very difficult. Like even from a, you know, even from a young teen or, an, you know, older teenager, I, I remember crying to my mum and saying, you know, I'm so different from everyone else. Like I don't want to go partying and I don't want to drink and smoke and do all these things but because I was so dedicated to what I wanted to do from, from, you know, 16, 17, like that was my journey. And mum said to me, Hey kiddo, listen, I know you feel like left out now, but, in the future, they're the ones that will be looking to you and going, wow, you know, gosh, look at what she's kind of done. So when you're on the road and things like that, it's um, travel is one of the, the hardest things, you know, like your hydration and everything vocally when you're in aeroplanes. Mm. I mean, Nowadays with COVID people all wear masks and stuff so no one blinks an eyelid but I've always traveled with an actual it's called a humidity flyer it's an Australian invention actually um, which has got an antibacterial filter in it and it's actually a proper proper like you know mask that I've always worn on my flights and you wet the filter and you're breathing in your own air but it's got like a like a filter rather than the recycled air in the plane and people always used to look at me like I had some kind of (laughs) odd odd disease of course now no one blinks an eyelid with those kinds of things but back then I was definitely wearing things like that in, in the flights um to try and make sure I wasn't drying out there's lots and lots of hydration singers have things like um you know they steam we steam a lot you know steaming like putting your head over a bowl and getting the steam up so you're hydrating your cords and a nebulizer is the latest thing like these little cold cold air things that you I have in my dressing room that provide a saline mist so if there's any inflammation or anything on the cords then then you can just you can be in your dressing room and just take a bit of it, it looks like you're having some heebie-jeebie like drugs in the background that make me sing high but they're not it's just hydrating the cords and with a bit of saline. Um, and apart from that, it's just the regular things really actually, you know, like making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you're exercising, you know, that you're doing. So I have like a pre-show workout, like even though I've got a big ass and and people probably wouldn't <laughs> expect it, I do, I do cardio kickboxing thing. Like I get my whole body going before a show. I stretch, I do cardio kickboxing. I do a whole lot of breath breathing work. I have a very like regimented show routine. I eat certain foods. I don't eat certain foods, obviously, and everyone's different, you know, about pre-show stuff. But for me, it's always worked. Things like eating gluten-free pasta a couple of hours before a show with a lot of um, protein and things like that for energy. And I would never eat close to a show because that makes me unable to breathe. I mm. wouldn't have dairy on the day of a show because that forms a mucus lining on the throat. You know, you wouldn't have too much acidy stuff because, again, it's, it kind of affects the voice. You wouldn't have anything like crackers that could get caught in the chords when you're singing. Right. Um and 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 just things like that. Having said that, uh, you know, other singers I know who smoke a cigar at intervals. So hey, who <laughs> am I to judge? Uh, they're definitely not. They're definitely not sopranos. Uh, I will yeah. say, I will add. Then the, the lower voices can get away with that crap. That's unfair, completely. But, um, uh, but you know, uh, yeah, definitely. I think. I think. Yeah, just everyone has their own regime. I just think you've got to be. You've got to be. <laughs> you've got to be able to say to people, no. And that I think when you're growing up as, as an artist, as an opera singer, that's really hard because you, don't get me wrong, I didn't miss out. I still had a fantastic time and amazing friends. And I've, I meet people from all over the world and, and I'm very, very social. But when it comes to actually the shows and being at my best during a performance is that like, nothing else matters, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's fair call. Cool. You know, you're being paid and employed and that's your job and, and you've got to give it to 100%. And I see that through through what, what Matt does in, in, uh, in the plays that you've done, um, throws himself right into that and becomes... Are very dedicated to the craft. Yeah, yeah, and I get the benefits of him singing around the house all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm glad you see them as benefits. That's good. You know, yeah, know, I... and you're like, I don't like that character at my dinner table. What's going yeah. on?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. One uh, of them, one of them was a 16 year old boy. That was a little bit weird. I played a teenage girl
0: and a teenage boy last year. Yeah, so that was an interesting year. Oh in, my Shakespeare, in
1: Shakespeare, that was fun. Yeah, I played yeah.
0: Perdita in The Winter's Tale, which mm. was this young flower princess and um, a young teenage boy that had gone through some like, serious teenage trauma who was like a champion swimmer. Yeah. So that was also really tough. Yeah, so I'd love you do to just... Do, do,
2: do you actually take that? I mean, as an actor, do you actually take those characters away from the stage? Do you, do you put them into life at all in order to uh, find them? Or
0: The last three years, Helena, have been me really getting the most work as an actor that I've ever had. So I'm really still kind of working it out. Um, the first that. play was an Arthur Miller play called *View from the Bridge*. Bevan and I were lucky enough to do that together. And that was that was fun. My character was just so much fun. He was this gorgeous Italian. Immigrant who just wanted to seek the American dream in the 1950s, you know, and he was full of joy and love and he wanted to be a singer. He wanted to be the next Frank Sinatra, you know. He was, he was, he was, he was just, <laughs> I love it. he was so much of me and all the joy in me. He was a lot of you. But then last year, doing, um, especially this play where I was playing a young, kind of traumatized teenage kid, um, I think I did bring a lot of that one home. I really tried to immerse myself because it was the biggest gig I'd ever had. It was it was a big role, and um, I really tried to put everything I could into it. And I did have a bit of a breaking, a bit of a breaking point during that Mm -hmm. one. Um, But you know, I just learnt so much through that process, though, and I'm so glad I pushed myself to that point to understand what I'm capable of, um, how I moved through that process when I did break down. I, I mean, I was I was so lucky. The direct, you know, I was the only guy in our entire. Ensemble and cast and everything, so I I was just mothered so heavily. It was
2: incredible.
0: You know, the day I had this breakdown.
2: You're right about about hitting that point as well. Like it it, it sounds dramatic to everyone who listens, but you're right. You have to hit those points sometimes to learn. You know where where they are for you as an artist, don't you? Yeah.
0: What I did, what I could do differently to maybe change that situation. I mean, I I just I just don't think I'll I'll hit that point of that significance, or maybe I will in another way, I don't know. But like like we're talking about when, you, when we're talking about freelance creatives, sometimes getting a lot of work, sometimes getting none. You know, the last couple of years I've had a lot of work as an actor and now this year we took the leap to move to Melbourne and I haven't kind of worked at all this year as an actor. You know, it was a transitional year, moving, doing some other studies so I can do some side hustling to get us assist- in, mm-hmm. you know, moving to a new city, trying to make new connections, it's all... It's all really tough and it it definitely, like, it plays on my mind a lot, Um, you know, when you're in those lulls, especially for me. Like, you you inspire me because you seem just so, you are so fucking ambitious and it sounds like you've just always, you've known yourself so well and you're so confident, whatever. I really have to push myself to be confident in front of people, Um, but I still have these huge dreams and goals and ambitions and um it gets me emotional hearing you talk about mm. you know your experience there's so much that I want to experience and I um I I I just sometimes I just don't know how how to make it happen you know I I um I haven't been through a a proper learning institution or anything and I'm in my 30s now so I'm you know I'm I'm like will I ever go through something like that I don't know um so yeah I I really I love like <laughs> living through you in this conversation a bit <laughs> <laughs>
2: I do, I do think that as an as an artist, no matter which form of, of it you're doing as a performing artist, no matter what stage you're at or what, you know, what, what you're doing, I think you've got to know your strengths as well as you know your weaknesses. And I think that's super important. And I say that I, I mentor a lot of young singers and I say to them, you know, we're forever criticised. You know, we're forever told what we can do better as artists. You know, when you're in a play rehearsal or when you're in an opera rehearsal, it's like, no, no, no don't do that, do this, you know, where, where, you know, I think people don't understand that, you know, I when I'm training for an opera, it's, no, that was crap, try it again. No, do it again. And I'm very much like that with myself, but I love it. Like, I love picking up a new opera and being like, oh, I'm crap at this, fantastic, how can I make it better? Because for me it's, like, so exciting to make it better and, I guess I'm at the stage of my career and my life where I have all those tools now to, to know how to, how to do that. So I find it quite exciting to build that, but I think, you know, it's important to, to know your, your strengths because your strengths are your selling points. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be like in people's faces going, Oh, look at me, look at me. But it's like, Hey, I'm worth it. I do this really well. Mm. And this is what I bring to the table that maybe other people don't. And this is, you know, and to know that of yourself, I think really, really helps because, you know for for a while as a singer i was kind of singing different repertoire and i was floating around and i was like okay i'll, I'll do this job and this job but i didn't really have a distinct kind of Like, this is me. And then I did a Belcanto opera in Wexford. Uh, Two women got hired before me and neither of them could sing it. It was just this score that was almost unsingable. And Wexford opera are notorious for doing these operas that are unknown. And so it just happened that a director that I'd worked with on some Mozart in Germany was one of the artistic liaisons for the company. And she said, oh, you should try this girl. And I I, I was known, but I wasn't hugely known at the time. So they wrote to my my manager and they said, "Would would Helena consider this score?" and and I was just about to come out to Oz actually and um, for a holiday, and I looked at the score and I was like, "No, this is mental! Like this is this is Crazy Town, you know? This is Bel Canto, and it's like you know most insane." Um, and they were like, "Well, yes, you know, we've we've hired two people already, but unfortunately, they've." You know, they have not mm. been able to to kind of come to the party with it, and it wasn't long to go. It was like I think it was a month to go till they started rehearsals. Usually, you'd know you know a year, two years ahead of time with an opera because it takes a while to learn, obviously. Wow, yeah. Not mm. a year, but but yeah, you yeah. but you'd know ahead of time, and 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 um, I was like, okay, fine. So I took it to Australia. They they FedExed me the score, and I took it to Australia, and I worked with Raymond Lawrence, who's this, the a wonderful head of music at Melbourne Opera and who is a real specialist in, in Belcanto. And he said, yeah, you can sing this. And so we did, and we worked on it. And I just, like, I was meant to go out there for a holiday. I literally all I did night and day was work on this opera score and through the work on it, I found me, I really, I like, I went, Oh, I, I can, I can do this. Like, wow. Okay, cool. I can do this and not everyone can do That's kind of cool. I kind of like that. And you know, and it was hard, and it was uh, like mega hard, and, and I really worked harder in that show than I did, I think, in any show that I've done, to find that for myself. But oh my god, the excitement and the thrill of of mm. like what that created, and I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. It was like we were in one of our final rehearsals, and one of my colleagues who was a who was quite a bit older than me, he was facing up and he played my kind of father figure in the show, and I was doing this this aria and and. And I I couldn't see behind me, but it was the first time we'd had costumes and the orchestra and everything. And basically, the chorus were like in floods of tears over what I was doing on stage. Well, I couldn't, obviously, I couldn't see it. And this this story was based on a true story about the Queen of uh, Sweden. Like, she ruled from age four, and it was like an incredible, she was an incredible character to play. And the strength in her was, I mean, it's just quite something else. Anyway, so we were doing this scene. It was really quite moving. And he's looking up at me and he just glazed over and he, he was meant to have the next line. And he just completely didn't sing, just like completely didn't sing. And I'm like looking down at him with my mm. eyes as if to say, It's your line, <laughs> you know, and, and nothing. And they had to stop the entire rehearsal. And, and the conductor, Maestro, was like, Hey, David, hello, woohoo, like, you know, a, <laughs> mm. sh- a short line. And then David just pointed to the chorus and everyone was just like, oh, and, oh. And, 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 and he pointed, he's like, I just, I just got taken to another planet. He's like, I, 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 don't even know what just happened here. And, and like, that was a real moment where I went, Oh, like I can, I can do that. Yeah. And, and music can do that. And music and I together can do that. And wow, that's, yeah that's just that i can transport people and i can move people and isn't that what it's supposed to be about it's supposed to be about taking people out of their lives and Correct. and just being in a fantasy and, and and having those few hours where nothing else matters but being immersed in it and i it was that was a real turning point for me where i just went that's my strength and i'm going to hold on to that and i'm going to hold on to that through my career and work to be better every day of course not take it for granted but like wow like that's that's as an artist that's what you kind of like live for really oh, so i think that that's i think that's really important
1: mm. it is so for those who are listening so bel canto can you give us an example of what it's like like what that's what that sort of singing is like that's difficult
2: Well bel canto is is is, is basically what it says on the packet it's beautiful singing and so the composers of the bel canto period were all about Ah, the beauty of the human voice. So instead of having a lot of text and a lot of story, right. the, the story would be suspended, you know, like in Norma, the famous Casta Diva, you know, it's, mm. it's not got text on every word, but it allows the voice, you know, casta diva. Like it's the beauty mm, of the, mm, of the melody and the voice ornaments and does yeah. all the beautiful things that it wants to. And you take selection in that. And, and it was just the era of beautiful singing. So it was all about, it's not about how loud you're it's not about how much text you're it's not about how much you're moving the story forward. It's just about being in the beauty of the moment and, and appreciating the beauty of what the human voice can do, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your incredible voice has taken you far and wide. I have to ask because New York is a place that I just am dying to visit. What is, what have your experiences been like in New York? Because you were singing for Metropolitan Opera for years. What, what's that been like?
2: I mean, extraordinary. Uh, you, you can't, yeah, no, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like New York, you know, as an artist, you know, New York, New York, you know, like whatever yes. they say, it's, it's, it's true, you know, and, um, I started off as a cover. I, I I was in a big opera competition in um, in Seattle doing Wagner, of all things, uh, and and that's kind of how I thought I'd go for a little while as a baby Wagnerian. And then hmm. the head of casting at the Metropolitan Opera was at the competition, and she asked me to come over and, and, and do an audition. And um, <laughs> I... You know it's funny, you go to all these auditions all your life as as an artist, don't you? And you and like, you know, for every, I don't know, fifty auditions you do, you're lucky to get one. You know, that's the that's the kind of ratio. But um as a young opera singer, I did a lot of auditioning. So I went over and I thought I literally thought I was gonna pass out. I like I'm at the Mitchell Opera and I'm <laughs> auditioning for I've been asked to come here and do a general audition. So I prepared like five arias and I, I was in there not on their stage, but in their kind of, it's like an auditorium at the back, which has got all this seating. And I walked in and I literally thought I was going to pass out. I was like, and um, (laughs) all these auditions I'd done all my life where there's like a panel of 12, not, not 12, but you know, there's like three or four people and they all feel very important about themselves and they make you feel very small. Whereas this was one woman, one hilariously, strong Jewish New Yorker who had been the casting director there for 35 years. She was blunt as they come, but I absolutely loved her. And she went, come on, down you come. And I, I walked down the stairs and, and, and I sang and she kind of, she kind of folded her arms and she looked at me. She said, what else do you have? And I told her, she's like, right, I'm going to hear Erin Arnie. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So, I sang Anani, and then she kind of looked at me again, and she went, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, oh. And I said, coming back. And I laughed. <laughs> and, and, and she went, yeah, yeah, you are. She said, listen, uh, basically she wanted me to come back and sing for the head of music because he wasn't present at the audience. She said, I like you. That's the first thing she said. Sorry, I should say, I like you. And I went, that's a good start. So does my mum. And she kind of <laughs> laughed. And um she said, I want you to come back tomorrow and I want you to sing again. And I said, well, I nearly threw up today. So that's great. I said, oh, I look forward to coming back tomorrow. And uh, I met the head of music uh, Craig Ruttenberg at the time. And he and I did a working session together around the piano. And he said, I want you just to relax. I want to hear what you can do. Blah blah blah. And it just so happened that they had lost their understudy for Enani that I had in my repertoire uh, the week before. And, um, They took me under their wing, and she said, and and I sang for him, and he said, you know why you're here? And I said, yeah, I do. I said she thinks that part of my voice is a bit crap, and she wants you to not. She wants she wants you to make a decision about whether you think it's good enough to carry in the house because it's a four thousand seat auditorium, and I'm not mic'd obviously. And she was a bit worried. With most sopranos, it's the same. Like the middle of the voice, she was worried that it wouldn't kind of ring in the house enough. The top was fine, the bottom was fine. She's a bit worried about the middle. And and he went. Did she tell you that your middle of your voice was crap? And I went, Oh, she didn't have to. Like, I, t- I totally get it. Like, mm. it's not a problem. And, but she was so blunt. She was just like, I'm just, I'm concerned about the middle. Otherwise, I think you're fantastic. I haven't heard a voice like yours in a long time. It's a very old school technique. I'm really interested in you, but I need him to make the decision. And at the end of the session, he said, I think you're going to have a long and healthy uh time at the Metropolitan Opera, he said, uh, welcome aboard, kiddo. And that was my first gig. And I got to, um, you know, um, the first gig was with Domingo, uh, with Placido Domingo and uh, amongst other, other people. And I got to sit in a room. And watch and learn, and I got coachings off the best Italian coaches, and I got to work with James Levine, who was, uh, who's passed now, but who was the, the biggest influence of of conductors in in the world, really for opera, and and I just, you know, a lot of a lot of the understudies over there were, had had a chip on their shoulder, whereas for me it was just the most incredible experience and I, every coaching that I got offered, I took every, and I'd be knocking at their door saying, give me more coaching, you know, and they're like, okay, Helena, calm down. You know, I was in the best house, a best opera house in the whole world. And, and, you know, I was relatively young and, and she said, we're going to do what we used to do. We used to take people like you under our wing and we used to teach them and we used to cultivate and help them grow as artists. And so for quite a few years I did, yeah, I was covering, the big leading ladies. And I said to her, I said, why me? Because you have to pay extra for me to fly over here and, and to house me. Whereas if you took an American artist, it would cost you less. And, you know, you'd have someone more local. And she said, well, honey, it's like this, you know, everyone, you know, so many people come through our doors. Everyone can sing. Like I've got no problem with that, but you gotta be able to sing and you've got to be able to be, under pressure to be absolutely focused because, of course, top opera house in the world, if you get called up in the middle of a performance because the soprano's twisted her ankle or something and you have to go on, she's like, you have, and she said, you have to have balls of steel and you got that. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so for quite a few years, it was like one contract every year in my in, in the kind of Belcanto stuff. I got to understudy, like, the leading ladies of the world in America in in those roles. And, again, you know, I met a lot of covers who just had so many chips on their shoulder, but I was the opposite. I just – I was enthralled and loved it. And, uh, consequently, because of that, I got to make my debut there in Full Falstaff in 2019. Um, and then recently I, I went back and, yeah, I was – I, di- I wasn't going to go back as an understudy again, but they kind of asked a special favour of me last season to go back for Norma, um, and that's a, you know, it's like one of the hardest roles that there is to sing, really. And they said, look, we we wouldn't usually ask you to cover again, to be the understudy again, but we have a situation. This is what it is. And anyway, I ended up doing a lot. I ended up doing a lot of rehearsals. I ended up going on for several of the shows, and one of them was a international live broadcast. Which started at um, uh, it was on at twelve all at broadcast around the world, and um, I got noticed at nine o'clock that morning that I was doing it, and uh, and I was on, but I knew because I I won't I won't go into it exactly, but we we, there was some issues with the lovely leading lady, and um, so uh, there was some games going on, yeah, there was a lot drama Drama. and. uh, I basically just every show i made sure i was ready because it because it would only affect me if i wasn't so every show i would prepare like it was a show day i would do my exercises i would eat whatever actually every every day psychologically i was prepared that was a lot but then when it was time for the crunch it it worked in my favor so yes yeah Yeah, putting
1: putting in the hard work you the humility often pays off uh definitely for artists and we we see it and you know from the point of people who are very precious, they might be very talented, but it's interesting, I always say this to Matt, being a good human is always the number one thing because people see that. People see that you're a good human and she was correct. A lot of people can sing Mm. Um, but when they see someone that has that dedication, wants to learn, and has that humility, it takes you a long, long way. I believe mm. it really does. Yeah, it's yeah. got to
2: be. It's got to be a, a perfect match. You know, you got it. Yeah. You got deli- to deliver the goods. Have the goods to start with, but also the, the headspace is. It's fascinating. I've seen people come and go a lot in that in that opera house, and it's a it's a tough place to be. It's a lonely place to be. It, everyone wants to be the best. People will, when you're the understudy, people will not treat you the best always, and you get you get mm. kind of stamped on for ego and, and all that kind of thing. You've got to you've got to be able to separate yourself from all of that emotionally and and be able to just go, okay, fine, okay, fine. And I I'll, I'll never I, the broadcast was my second performance. I, sh- I did one performance for her on the Wednesday, and then the Saturday was the the live broadcast. Live broadcast, Metropolitan Opera, the role of Norma, like literally the dream role. In, in in my repertoire, and it was so stressful, like so stressful. But, but actually, towards the end of the show, I had a moment to go far out, man. This is it. This is it. This is everything, everything that I've worked for. This is it. And I actually had a moment where I was singing with Michael Spies, who's just one of the most gorgeous tenors and bel canto geniuses, and we were doing this incredibly moving duet at the end of the opera and a really great conductor i worked with once said to me even though opera is all about noise if you can sing beautifully and quietly and sensitively and you're in the moment you should be able to take a breath and hear nothing but silence in the theater if you can hear a pin drop when you sing then then the audience are with you 100% and I remember doing this duet and just taking this breath and it was like, like no one was even breathing in the theatre and I just, I thought it was so lovely to have a moment to appreciate and enjoy where I was because you don't often get that, it's so crazy usually, you know, when you're, when you're doing shows And but it was that moment and I just went, you know what, Helena, you know, leaving home at an early age, dedicating your life to this, losing partners over the fact that you've—this has been your dedication. You know, friends. You know, all the all the hardships, all the all of it, right here, right now. Like this is it. Like this is this is what this crap was all for. You know, this beautiful crap. <gasps> the crap. Is, um, you know, and it's, it's so nice because we as, as artists we don't ever stop to enjoy things like that. And I think it's really important that you do. It's really important as an artist that you celebrate those moments for yourself, no matter how big or small and that you go, I just did that. Like, wow, I just did that. And then you go, okay, get over yourself. Let's move on. Next, next project, <laughs> next hardware. Yep. But it's still important to take that little moment for yourself. Really? Honestly.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your Instagram because one of your most recent posts, what is your handle by the way, just for anyone listening?
2: Um <laughs> yeah. uh, it's um, um it's um yeah it's this it's, really um, great it's handle talk amongst it's yourselves
1: amazing oh. handle ah, oh, yes, of, oh I know what I, it is it's the Helena Dix. Yes,
2: that's my handle. The, the Helena, the
0: Helena Well I was stalking your Instagram earlier. And um, You're such a good stalker. A great stalker. <laughs> I love this Terry post you, found, you put up mate. though about the art of giving and receiving compliments. Tell us mm. about that. Mm.
2: Yeah, no. I put a post about that because I was in the foyer recently of a show, and this someone came to me and they said, "Oh, um, I listened to your broadcast from from the Met on Norda that you did." And I went, "Oh, lovely." And they went, "Oh, yeah, but I mean, I don't need to tell you, of course, because you already know that you're great." But um, you know, I just, I just, and I "I went pardon," and they went, "Oh, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to, to, to tell you it was great because you, I'm sure you already know that." And I, I looked at them and I said, "Actually, I." I'd love to know what you thought, no matter what it is of what you thought, because it's important. And I think it's important... It's so hard for artists to take compliments because we're again we're we're fueled with criticism all the time and so and I see my colleagues do it you know my colleagues come out after a show and someone will say great job and the younger ones are very uncomfortable about it you know they'll be like oh thanks yeah but my voice was this or that or they'll come back mm. with something that's you know and I'm like I say it to people all the time I say that you just smile and you thank them because they've given you a compliment and and otherwise they'll feel uncomfortable about giving it again and they've approached you they don't need to do it they're not forced to do it they're not in a room you know and and you're public and the people that appreciate you they're the people that are paying to come and see you and even even other colleagues like if a colleague does something really great I'm always I always stop and I'll go hey that was phenomenal what you just did then and Sometimes my colleagues don't quite know how to take it, you know, and sometimes they'll get quite defensive. Oh yeah, but but and I go, No, 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 no. No yeah, but I really appreciate what you just did then. So just take it. All right. Mm. And and a couple of my colleagues have gotten quite emotional. Oh Helena, I can't believe you, you said that or you took the time to write it or No. I think we spend so of so much of our time, as I said, being criticized and trying to be better. And so we take criticism really well. We, we learn to take criticism really well, or most of us do anyway, um, but we don't know what to do with a compliment. And I think that's really sad because, again, as I said, I think to sell yourself as an artist or to kind of survive in the industry, you need to know what you do well as well. Mm. And uh, and But I hated that, oh, well, I don't need to tell you, but... Well, no, actually, I don't care what stage you're at of your career. It's, it's lovely to hear the audience clap or it's lovely to hear someone say mm. bravo mm. or it's lovely to see someone cry and be moved by your performance because all of that is sensory feedback to the hours and hours and mo- weeks and months and lifetime of discipline and dedication that you do. And I think it's important to to learn and to, to grow, but it's so important to A, know, know how to take a compliment be to to accept the compliment not just in the sense of thank you thank you but actually accept it so, mm. you know th- that, that's what that person thought mm. and, and and just to just to have that positivity as well and also to understand that no matter how high up the artists are, they're still they're still working you know they're not like you know they're not perfect they, they're still every everything is still a, a new role is still a, a lesson and they it's lovely to tell them if you think that that it's great you know.
0: Yes. So important as well. I worked through radio in my twenties and also every week I'd go in and my boss would sit down with me and we'd review, we'd listen back to some of the talk breaks that I did. And always it was just a lot of criticism all the time as well. And you have to hear what you're good at. There were some bosses that I had that wouldn't tell you the good stuff. And you you, know, you have to hear it. You really have to. Or it just drains you completely.
2: Absolutely. And I'm not yeah. talking about, there's no need to be fake. Like, oh, no, no I don't want someone yeah. to be gushy. I don't want someone to be like, oh, darling, you know, because you get yeah. that and you get that as well. I don't, I don't want that. But if you genuinely were moved by something, tell me. Like, that's my job. My job is to make that happen for you. So, mm. you know, if you, if you can... If you can have that back, Oh, but I've had that quite a few times. Oh, I guess you know this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, come on now. Okay, yes, like I, I know that I'm being hired and I know life is great and all that kind of stuff, but actually, you know, you don't understand the the, the three months of work that I do sitting at the piano seven hours a day to make this happen, and and this is, this is the enjoyable part, so why not make it enjoyable for everyone, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And we, we're talking about that. We've always asked about um, where does this diva come from? Yeah, why do we call you a diva? diva. This is a diva? Yeah, tell us. Where does where that? Where does diva come from? Because yeah. when people say, you know, there's, there's this opera diva, and I'm like, and in our little uh, gay, um, lovely household, we have our diva moments. Oh, um, we all have our diva, diva moments, moments, you bitch. Um, bitch. Um, but I just love that when we look at <laughs> opera, we talk about the opera diva, or we talk about, you know, Mariah, she's the diva. Do you know where we get this diva word from? Where does this actually come from?
2: I think in, in old school opera, diva was very much used like you're talking about, like bad behavior or Ooh. or obnoxious behavior, you know, like oh, such a diva, like, mm. yeah. you know, like yeah. that kind of um, in, in opera in the old days, you know, people behaved really badly. If they were the leading sopranos, you know, it was like, oh, like, look at me, darling. And they got away with like murder, really, mm.
0: um,
2: and, and were very kind of flamboyant and full of of you know full of the everything that that kind of behavior like oh, you know i can afford to do that because i'm i'm the i'm the star i'm the diva you know i think it was very much used <laughs> yeah. in that yeah. however uh, i i think i think the tables have turned quite a lot there's not there's not nearly as much of that behavior anymore in our industry um and i think opera i think due to social media and and platforms like that like opera singers have been humanized a lot more and 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 we actually see the people and the and the the humans behind all that kind of stuff so i think that those tides have changed so i think there's two ways of of hearing it i think diva now can be like yes diva like yes love her, like, oh, you know yes. and i and i love i love that i love that form of it definitely yeah
1: yeah we'll, we'll definitely go for that hey now look before we say goodbye to you i'm gonna ma- i'm i need to get you to um, show Helena your voice, oh, oh. I'm going to get you to do a little um, a little example of what you were taught. Because I get oh. this, I get this all the time. So if we can get him, if we can ever get him um, learning some other um pieces of uh opera that'd be great oh, don't make me sing because this this gets it i get this you one know all the time yeah but the good thing was that you can you can just give a little critique
0: oh my god <laughs> oh my. well look the first ever classical song that i ever learned was mio ben mm-hmm. um which i love and i just find myself singing it all the time i learned it when i was like 18 i'm 31 now i find myself just singing it all the time. It's like so embedded it's in his, me.
1: It's like his bath time go-to. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Especially in like a bathroom with tons of reverb. It's just, you know, it's it feels oh, so yeah, good. Oh, yeah, you've
2: got to have reverb for Cardinal Baird. Yeah, so singing sure. it
0: here in this dead carpeted room through a microphone
2: oh, in look, my he's ears. Giving ex- he's giving excuses already. Oh, yeah, yes, all right, see? Excuses. I'll just
1: there. Go, I'll just go. <laughs> have you had milk today? No. Just, just <laughs> all right.
0: <laughs> sh- shush now. Sh- 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 <laughs> O oh, rogno ben, credimi almen, Senza di te languisce il cor, Il tuo fedel sospira nior, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. There we go. Oh, thank you. Can thank I just you.
2: Say, can I just say, I wasn't sure what to expect then, but that was actually quite beautiful.
0: Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, That's as good. I said, that song That's is so good. in me. I get, so it's I get a, bit a of
2: Pavarotti. There's a bit of Pavarotti and a little bit of Beyonce all together in yeah. I'll that. I'll take that.
1: Oh my God, best compliment.
2: It, I, I get. <laughs> I,
1: I honestly and sincerely get really quite emotional when I when he sings because, you know, when you see, I, I'm his partner, I'm his husband, and you know, I absolutely adore you, and I see the talent, but I, I just want other people to experience that. And I, as I said before, when I sat and in opera and heard people like yourself and experience that beautiful, uh, to be moved by music, you have the ability to do that. And I just want the world to hear that and experience that that gift that you've been given. I would give an inch to have your and your inch of your little bit of your talent because I know it has the possibility to move and change the world. I really believe that. I really believe mm. that. Little bit by, by little bit, by people just like you said, disappearing for a second in their lives, giving them a break, it, it really can change people's lives. So I am hoping at some point one day that you're able to fly with that voice just as oh. you have flown with your voice and continually fly with your voice.
0: It's a, it's a I love it all. I, I love, love the that. acting. Thank and, you for
2: singing for oh. me. That was gorgeous. <laughs> it was a pleasure
0: to sing for you, later, any time. <laughs> Let's sing together someday.
1: <laughs> so, what is up? What, what is yeah? You should. What is you should? What is up next for you? What's happening?
2: Uh, so, um, I'm doing a recording on BBC Radio Three next week, where Ooh. they they do a, a feature on kind of famous musicians. So, I'm going in and talking about my life and and different music that's um, moved me. So, a bit of radio work, and then I'm doing two Verdi requiems here in London. Um, and then I'm doing another recording and then I'm off to Brussels where I'm doing uh, like a big uh, project on Verdi and his operas and I'm the lead soprano in that. So I'll be in, in Brussels for a few months and so that's my next big project. That's my next international project, which is very exciting.
1: Beautiful.
0: Amazing. Um, Helena, we've been doing this in the last couple of potties. I I think it's been working quite well. But do you have any final things that you would like to say to our community, to the creative community, to people who might be listening to us right now?
2: you know, just to just to keep the arts alive, keep going to live theatre and keep experiencing it. And if you're a little scared of something that's out of your, you know, out of your comfort zone, then don't be, just give it a go and, and, and go and immerse yourself because, you know, life is so tough and we live in a world that's, you know, gosh, you know, all around the world you hear all this negative stuff all the time on the mm. news and all that kind of thing. And I think you've got to... I think you can't, I think as humans, sometimes we're scared to give in to ourselves a little bit. We're scared of what it might unlock. Uh, People live their lives, people who live their lives without the arts, I think live their lives in a, in a cage, in a gilded cage. I think they don't unlock a part of themselves. And so for me, my advice is if you're scared, don't be like, just, just go and and allow Mm. yourself to cry or allow yourself to be moved or allow yourself to be taken somewhere else. And yeah. And let go, just let go for a little bit because life's tough and we, we all, you know, we all fight, fight the good fight every day, but it will add a layer to your life. I think that's, yep. that, that can't be, can't be taken away from you. I think that, I think that would be my, my advice.
0: There's a whole conversation there as well. Exactly what we're saying in relation to the queer community as well. And the lays that we get to unlock as queer people. We do, I we are. And the freedom that we get to find.
1: We are blessed yeah. to be queers. Oh, <laughs> we, are. we are. We we can see life in technicolour. Yeah. And that's the way it's always been meant to it be is seen. Good.
0: I just have to say to you as well, babe. Yes. Um, look, you, don't make me cry again. Don't make me cry a lot. You say that you would do anything to have a little bit of what Helena <laughs> has, and and even <laughs> a little bit of what I have. Yeah. Nothing compared to what Helena has. Yep. But, babe, you change my world when you sing. I love mm-hmm. when you sing to me. It, it honestly melts me. Thanks. So you should never stop singing. Thanks, Please man. don't stop singing. Why don't Thank you give me. us something?
1: Uh, no, I'm not going to give you something, <laughs> but that's fine. I'm from good Welsh stock, so yeah. that's help. There that, you th- go.
2: You've got it in you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that's true. You use what you got. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever level you're at. And I do yeah. find a lot of joy in expression through song too. Good. Thanks. As it help. should be. Yeah. It has
0: been such a pleasure chatting with you today, Helena Dix next time you're in Australia, please let us know and we will post it wherever and we we would love to see you perform. Thank you for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Bye-bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that's it from us this week. Uh, join us again next week. We'll be back. It may be the last potty of the year next week.
1: Yeah, Santa's on their way. We'll so see where we we're at. Yes.
0: Beautiful. Uh, thank you for joining us, of course. Follow us on our social media, at 2 Peas. Find us everywhere. Insta, TikTok, Facey, YouTube give us a thumbs up and subscribe. We'll see you next week. Bye bye Bye.